In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We are here with part two of Benjamin C. George, Diversified Nepotism. I heard a good quote that was, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're on the menu. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, how many people really have a seat at the table? I You can argue the table's yeah, just been getting smaller and smaller and everyone's at, the, if you're at the table, you're probably at the kid's table. <laughs> well, we just we just witnessed the greatest redistribution of wealth in modern times. Yeah. And it's not even talked about. I mean, you know, it's like the largest heist movie. It's like Ocean's Eleven on a global scale. And we don't even talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it's very interesting. It is. And it, it, it just seems, you know, it seems that, The earliest I can remember paying attention was like the dot-com boom, you know, and it was just this, it was the first time I really noticed like the whole bubble economy and, it, and this larger idea of just scams. Like it's probably always been this way where oh, you yeah. just blow everything up and then, you know, you, you suck in all the profits, you blow everything up and then you suck in all the profits. And it's every time it becomes a bigger distribution of wealth until the people on the bottom have nothing. I, I was talking mm-hmm. to this guy in, I think he was in Switzerland and I had asked him this question about technology. He's a, he, he's a very fascinating guy. And I had asked him, I said, you know, and I'll ask, I'll ask you the same question. Let me, let me present you with the question and, and um, see what you think. So I saw an interesting conversation between Peter Thiel and uh, uh, one of the Weinstein brothers. And they were saying in that conversation that, we as a society have bet the farm on automation and technology and it never shows up. You know, it's always five years away. And if you took out every screen in your room, your room would look almost the same as it did in 1950. And when I asked that guy this question, he said that in the world of technology, 
you have seen the world's biggest fraud take place. Not that technology is not moving forward because it is, but it's this promise that of technology, like technology moves at a good clip and it will, and it's progressing nicely, but you're not going to have the, the flying cars and you're not going to have these giant self-sustaining cities coming up next year, but we're on the path to move forward. But the, he, in the way he described it was if, if the promises about technology were promised to any shareholders, they would be, these people promising would be in prison, you know, because it's, it's this ultimate fraud. And so I know we've talked about the promise of technology before, but how, how is it that we have gotten and what, what's the relationship between this promise, this fraudulent promise and this blowing of bubbles and this transferring of wealth? How do all those things fit together? Well, so there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there for yeah. sure. Um, I, I would start with, you know, we have, we've taken technology and the promise of it saying, oh yeah, you know, a computer is going to be doing all the work you were doing. You're never yeah. going to have to work again. Yeah. The reality of that situation is, is our society has never been structured for that to become a reality. Because you all of a sudden can't have a whole city's worth of people not working. And so, you know, you know, for a variety of reasons, and, you know, each individual uh, personal company, you know, the government involved, you know, the regulators involved, all of them are going to have their different perspectives on why that is. But at the end of the day, our, our society was never structured for that to be a reality. So what does that mean for the, the promise of, of, of technology or the promise of pharmacology, for that matter, or the promise mm -hmm. of all of these things that were supposed to be better living through our scientific endeavors? Well, it turns out that when we're all looking to make a buck we're not you know where that who actually makes that buck doesn't really trickle down as much as we were led to believe it right does. right and it usually stops at the very high level yep and so now yeah i can i can automate just about anything uh given a little bit of time and resources but if i start building you know it, if I start building automated factories, well, I'm going to have worker revolts or, you know, like when McDonald's rolled out their fully automated McDonald's, they had a whole big, uh, you know, HR problem. Cause right. now all of a sudden those people are like, Oh, my job's disappearing. Why do I want to invest any more time with you guys? Even if it's just cash a paycheck, I'd rather go cash a paycheck that somebody who's not going to replace me with a robot. Right. So there's, there's a lot of societal perception that comes into it as well. And so, you know, I think, you know, those multitude of factors end us up in a point where the money doesn't dictate that the average Joe or Jane should be have their time to themselves, have freedom, be able to just, you know, uh, embark on their lives. No, it actually works out better for all of the people, all of the powers in play that, you know, they're working 15, 16 hours a day, both of them to maintain just the household of four, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we see played out just about everywhere these days. Yeah. When we, when I think about that, it seems to me that whether, whether we, 
it seems to me that whether we have a radical shift in the structure of our society where less people work or we continue to force people to work ever more hours to funnel up to the top. Either way, what I see is the there's no social mobility. And we yeah. in a world where there's no social mobility, the only social mobility is fictitious. And when that Hence is a fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, man. Mm -hmm. They've already thought about it. They've already thought about oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's the whole idea behind your, you'll own nothing and, and like it. So you'll have a fictitious social mobility where you can carry a sword and live in a pod and have an I ever have a million coins. Yeah. I'm I conquered, I, I killed four dragons this month. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which don't get me wrong. I love video games. I grew up on video games and I, you know, I, I appreciate all that stuff. I, but yeah, did you ever see the movie Ready Player One? I I I saw I tried to watch the movie. I read the book and I tried to watch the movie, but it was so like here's all these white people living in trailers. Like it was just it was so much of like the book was awesome because I got to make my own movie in my head. Right. But I hated I hated the stereotypes and stuff that they put in that movie. Like I, I, it, I disliked. It was very stereotyped, but the book the was amazing. The overarching premise of the story, Agreed. right? Agreed. Is is kind of it's kind of like I think somebody who was way high up at, at Facebook saw that movie and was like, we can do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that uh, was the business plan. And they're like, okay, let's put it out in the, let's put it out to the people in the book. Then we'll put it out in the movie. Like, right. like all they have mosquitoes, right. You know, jabbing people with the next vaccine. Like it, it's, it's uncanny about all the things that were happening. And they, I would almost say that, they have all that technology and then they wrote that book and then, you know, made the movie for the masses. But yeah, like all those ideas are there, right? That, that is the future according to people want to. Build. Yeah. And I mean, it's nothing, it's not like there was any novel technology in that book. I mean, we've had, right. you know, omnidirectional treadmills, we've had full <laughs> system haptic feedback. We've had a lot of these things for quite a number of years. Um, you know, a, a kid in the trailer is not going to be able to ever afford one <laughs> in our reality. Uh, right. But yeah, you know, I mean, that, that technology is nothing novel for sure. And, you know, especially some of these digital worlds, some of these, you know, immersive, massive digital worlds that people are, have created these days, you know, it's not a far, it's not really a far stretch to be able to just start plugging in people virtually to those things and giving them a little bit more freedom of access. I mean, just look at what Fortnite did for all of that, the kids of that age. Um, you know, yeah. that was just a massive thing. Yeah. Those sandbox games. I mean, you can, mm -hmm. you can explore entire worlds. There's probably more square footage in virtual space than there is on the planet. Oh, that's an interesting mm -hmm. quandary. Huh. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, w I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I, I would... Especially if you took in like instances, right? Because a lot of those yeah. worlds are instanced out by however many players. If you took all of those instances, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, it's like we're in some ways we're drowning in abstraction, which opens the door to so many possibilities. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I remember about two years ago, I was just enamored by people 
opening up shops in metaverse like worlds and selling skins or selling weapons or selling um you know you can use your your uh nfts to become i could use popeye in the world of zelda you know and like you can just mm -hmm. sell these things and it's like on some level i'm like wow this is going to change everything but then i'm like it really doesn't change anything but it kind of changes everything you know but it's it's, it's fascinating instead of going to the mall you're just you know you're just going to the digital mall yeah exactly exactly you know so i mean it, it's the same it's the same game played out just on a digital space or maybe a digital slash analog space yeah it reminds me i was talking to this cat uh Ran ranga rangarajan and he was he had told me about this meme that he saw and the meme that he saw was like two dogs talking to each other and one dog is like man, I've always wanted to be a human. You know, it seems like such an amazing time and such an amazing person. And like, they, they do so much cool stuff. And so the dog dresses up and becomes a human for like a month. And then he comes back and he becomes a dog again. And the other dog's like, how was it? And he goes, you know, I thought it was going to be amazing, but it's just a complicated game of fetch. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not too far off the mark. Yeah. Not too far off the mark. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I guess getting back to the idea of of transfers of wealth and the metaverse and social mobility, mm -hmm. ha, has there, looking back on it, has the opportunity for social mobility been constrained since the 1500s or is it just something that's in high gear now or, or how do you see that? I, I think it's, you know, as far back as we have good history, it's always been constrained realistically. I mean, there's always been a glass ceiling for people. Right. You know, if you were born on the wrong side of a mountain way back in the day, that was, that was it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and, and it's the same thing today, you know, even when you have, you know, these massive successes or whatnot, like even like a, like a Kanye West, right billionaire right now you know right. massively successful creativity creativity can't can't argue it you know he's done all sorts of cool business stuff but that that even that that new money thing that whole idea that you can do that that's just a it's just a blink of a blink of the eye in, in the grander picture of the of the scale of wealth that exists on the planet and and that thing is that thing has so much momentum <laughs> and and the only people who are on the on the train of that of that massive wealth are the people who are born there pretty much you yeah. don't really run and catch up to it there's probably <laughs> been a few throughout the throughout the years but by and large it's it's a very small select group of people uh and it's all been lineage driven uh yeah. and you know even even today people are very very interested in lineage you know we have all these things 23 and me and dna yeah. and all this stuff which kind of it took a little of the edge off of it you could say but at the same time it, it invited a, an entire different you know marketplace of, of ideas for this uh, the idea of lineage uh and so you know in terms of social mobility i think it's pretty much always been pretty restricted uh, you know, carrying us to today where even if you become like a Kanye West, uh, yeah, you might have a, a few bucks, 
but your capacity to do something in the world is yeah you know he can make another song he can put out more sneakers but that's that's it you know kanye west isn't going to usher in a dramatic revolutionary change in in society uh you know neither is neither you or i most right. likely right? right uh it's just the nature of the of the beast the, of the reality of the situation that we're involved in uh and i think when social mobility gets lower is also when you see unrest in the populace too which right i think we're seeing a lot of currently right and and so if 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 we look at history and we look at today and we project into the future the continued degradation of nation states and the the upstart city states and different kind of projects like that what do you think that does for social mobility does that either does that a represent a new form of social mobility or does that just make the divide and conquer and the squeezing of social mobility more prevalent it's going to dramatically depend on how that on how that plays out from a from a, a growth level of those nation states and, and communities and things like that um if what i suspect is going to happen if, if it kind of all fractures out but everybody realizes that hey the investment and the time the technology the infrastructure that we put in to have a global communication systems to have internet to have supply chains to have these things these are good things beneficial to a lot of people let's figure out how to keep these things while we you know go our separate ways type idea which is like what i suspect will happen more often than not i think there'll be a couple warm and hot places but i don't right. think it'll be as many as people suspect uh i think if that happens then you have then you have uh, almost a renaissance because now you have to imagine you're going to have pockets of people who are just dedicated to causes yeah. um and but not only dedicated to causes, they're enabled by the technology and resources that in, in supply chains and networks that have been fostered over the past, you know, 120, 130 some years. Uh, and that will allow massive social mobility in certain places and probably almost no social mobility in other places. Um, I can very much see a place where you have, you know, like a like a New York type city center where it is kind of like a ready player one. Yeah. Where, you know, it's just people who are given a stipend every single month who live in, you know, a box and their only escape is to escape reality into these virtual worlds. And that's where they kind of live out their lives, their fantasies, their dreams and whatnot. Um, probably to a very detrimental living state and you know early death and whatnot but i think we'll see a lot of those larger city centers kind of devolve into those types of welfare states if you will sort of like a new opium den kind of yeah man i you know what when you put it like that i can see that and then you, you know you you mix in some of these lectures from like noel harari that talking about you know humans are hackable animals and if we don't do something then the rats will take over and you, you know i i just i don't really know that guy well enough to judge him on on who he is a person however i've read his books and I, i'm not impressed with his books i i feel like he's almost 
I feel like he just rewrote Gun Germs and Steel for his first book. And then mm-hmm. the the anybody who sits back and and calls out human beings as rats or and maybe I'm taking him out of context. I, I don't know that that I, I listened to him and this is just my opinion of what he said. However, anybody who just explains people like hackable animals to me is someone who is never been fond of humanity who has never truly seen the beauty and what is possible of humankind if they're given the ability to express themselves and it it just makes me despise everything that guy works on and and maybe this is unfair but when i when i think about him i think about the world economic forum and if this guy's advising the world economic forum he doesn't see people as people he sees them as numbers you know, that's the reality of a lot of those people. When you're born into those circles, you're, you know, we're indoctrinated sure. as, just as those people are indoctrinated. Sure. Uh, when I was, I had a fishing business for, for a few years out of my travels where I'd bring uh, people on luxurious, fully chartered two-week uh, vacations in foreign countries, and I would be their host, essentially. Nice. And I got to meet some very interesting and, you know, relatively powerful people from different places in the world. And there was definitely some common themes amongst them. And one of them was just a simple lack of perspective of what it is to live a day-to-day life for the common individual. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have, they, you have to imagine if you've never been exposed to that, you're just kind of watching it from the outside, looking in, like going to the zoo. Yeah. And that's, and, and then, you know, consequently that's all, that's kind of the adoption of the the pathology of a lot of those people is they they feel like they are you know the zookeeper and they're just at the zoo and the other people are just animals or they're just you know you know rats or what have Uh, and it's it's a very interesting uh, thing to be able to have one foot in and one foot out of a world like that uh and getting to see that at the age i got to see it was really you know fascinating to me completely broke down the remaining walls i had about the world and i realized that oh okay you can't even see that this is a problem because you don't even perceive this as a problem because it's not even registering sensorily to you or emotionally to you at any level like it's just not there you know they you know in even though somebody's experienced tragedy in their life even though they've experienced these things it's just a different thing because it's not the same kind of it's not the same type of burden placed upon everyday life you know from any angle whether that be a tragedy or whether that be a resources uh you know perspective or whether that be oh what am i going to do with my life no 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 no. you're going to go here Daddy already arranged this for you. You're going to be an intern here. You have a, uh, by, you know, 27, you'll be a partner here. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the reality of a lot of those people's world. You know, there has never been the, the question of, well, what am I going to do with my life? Or, you know, and, and so that removes just such a, a huge perspective of, you know, exploring life. Right. If you know you're going to go be a junior partner at the law firm, there's not a whole lot of reason to go take basket weaving in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I often wonder too. Like, I, I've been fortunate enough to travel a little bit. However, I've never, and I, I lived in Mexico for about six months, and I lived in like this really, I lived at a surf camp where everyone would leave. 
and it would just be me and I sometimes some people from the little Hito would come down and we would talk I would talk to them and I that's where I learned Spanish and you know I got to see how people lived pretty much without any technology with, without a lot of technology or definitely mm -hmm. not technology from the first world and while it's a more simple life you know I, I realized that those people knew so so much more than I knew especially when it came to survival and and how mm -hmm. to live life and they all seemed pretty fulfilled and they all seemed like they were not a whole lot different than me in a lot of ways and so when I look when I put my my hat on as a philanthropist not that I, I could ever understand what that's like but in my mind I, I see people going to maybe a third world country say like in Africa somewhere and like trying to help out this group of people I, I guess I could see how I'll just I'll just hypothetically I, I could see how John Kerry could go to the third world and be like we got to help these people and the way we're going to help them is by stealing all the money from the people in my country and giving it to these people like I, I could see on some level how people like that think they're doing good. And maybe they are, mm -hmm. maybe they are helping people, but at what cost and who are they to decide? Like, we're going to just steal all the money from those people in this country because they have enough. We need to help out mm -hmm. these people, but the people on top, it seems to me, they never, ever, they never, ever follow their own path. Like they're like, we think these people on the bottom should have less, but we're not going to have less. When it comes to the topic of climate change that people are saying, like, they fly around in all their jets and they have mm -hmm. all these grand visions of how they're helping people, but they never, not one of them, none of them ever follow the rules they set for other people. And it seems to me it's easy. If you guys want to have change, follow your own rules. You know, rules set for, the rules yeah, for thee, not for me. Yes. Yeah. yeah like, how do they how uh, do they justify that in their minds? Well, it's, you know, it's because they don't have the perspective. <laughs> they, they've never given up everything. They never sold everything. They never packed their shit up into a bag or two <laughs> and just went for it. They've never even had the opportunity to think about doing that. Mm. So there, it forms a completely different lens on the world, a completely different lens on, on reality. And yeah, they, well, oh, well, these people have nothing. Oh, clear. Oh, they're in a house. We can take money from them. Yeah, they're right. fifty thousand dollars in debt, and they can't afford. <laughs> they're about to lose the damn house yep. because you know they can't keep a job for more than twenty hours a week. Yeah, because they're trying to keep health care, you know, or whatever. There's all sorts of wild things, you know, when you start to look at the lower economic brackets of how the West operates. It is. It's a travesty. It and is. you know what every single one of those people think when they see the next 60 billion dollars going to Ukraine or going, you know, money going here or going there? Well, gosh, a thousand bucks would change my life right now. There is there's probably I would estimate 50 to 100 million people in this country that a thousand dollars would change their month. Yep. Now, there's also probably a billion to Three billion people, a thousand dollars would change their year. But the other side of that equation, or another side of those equations, is, is that you know where are those people located? Is the you know is that thousand? What's that thousand dollars going to go to? And then the reality of a lot of those situations is it gets funneled up to the corrupt top. Yep. Just like it does everywhere else. And so you know, yeah. Oh, we sent you know X 
amount of money over there, guess how much the people actually benefited from it? You know, it's Maybe. kind of the same sham as the, the nonprofits in this country. You're required to spend 5% of your uh, intake of money on your, on your purported cause for your nonprofit. That's probably about what ends up maybe 5% to the, to the bottom line of what people are trying to help. Oftentimes none. And oftentimes those people end up in worse states yep. because now instead of their sustainable ways that they've been utilizing for generations, they got sold some shammy, scammy, crappy product that's supposed to replace and change their world of life. And it breaks down after two years and you know, nobody has been cultivating the crop that allowed us to get through these times or, you know, all these other little tiny things that downriver nobody really looks at because, Hey, I did good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it blows my mind to think about it. It kind of reminds me of that. You ever see that movie a long time ago called the gods must be crazy. Mm -hmm. And they, all of a sudden this Coke bottle falls from the, from a, some plane somewhere on this tribe. And like, <laughs> One guy uses it as a hammer. One guy uses it to play music. One person, one lady uses it to roll stuff. And everybody starts fighting over this technology, you know. And mm -hmm. it, it's almost like the story of Prometheus, how like this mm -hmm. technology fell into their hands and like just did nothing but create chaos. And uh, yeah. I, and at the same time, we're we're almost inexplicably compelled to explore our, and you know reinvent our environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's it's like we're we're the sowers of our own destruction, but we're we're like edging <laughs> it out by a percent or two every every generation. So we're okay so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. One thing I've I like I see, and I think it's becoming more obvious, is just the facade of of this thing we call democracy, like. And I, I'm hopeful that it leads maybe to an actual type of democracy where, you know, the act of of foreign aid is like you take you take money from poor people in rich countries and you give it to rich people in poor countries, and it mm -hmm. never pans out for e any people. Well, well, there's another part of that equation. Okay. You give Please. it to rich people in poor countries because then they take the resources from the poor countries and give it to you. Yes, you see? I I do see. <laughs> yeah, you know, I heard of I heard of something interesting that was that was talking about these billions of dollars that's going to Ukraine. Like, how like how many of our politicians have like an NGO or some sort of special economic zone? And it just gets oh. funneled right back into their family office, you know, and every single one of them, every it's, one of them, every single one of them. I mean, yeah, you could probably make an argument that some sure. of the newer ones, maybe not as much, um, but any single career politician. Yeah, every single one of them. And if you yeah. could show me one that didn't, I would be very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's living in Hawaii has been a real eye opener for me because, you know, you can really see what happens on a grand scale by seeing what happens right here. And because we're an island, everything is right in front of you. And we have the same national policies that are being, you know, you can see the, I can see the policies in my state that are being rolled out throughout the entire nation. And one of them has been this idea of mass transit. And I can understand the reasons for mass transit. It, it alleviates traffic. It helps uh, commercially. It is, it brings people together, you know, and it, it provides more time for things. However, they, they began to implement the, the they call it the rail 
and mm-hmm. it was fought over just tooth and nail and it was it was pushed through by lobbyists and money and we didn't even get a we didn't get like some kick-ass mag you know magnetic bullet train we got like 1950s steel <laughs> on steel oh, and shit. then and like it's gone like 150 billion dollars over budget it didn't even go where it's supposed to go it's not even done yet you know well, and like it's so ridiculous. And that's the, yeah, that's the corruptness of the state, right? Because yeah, it, and then and then when you and then when you ask the question of well, why the hell did that happen? And you start to pull back the layers. Oh, it turns out that this contract was given to this city congressman's uh, husband or yep. their cousin or their blah 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 that runs X company that does this. No, not the most qualified person, but just some form of diversified nepotism. <laughs> Diversified nepotism. <laughs> so what it is? It's true. It seems like it to me. <laughs> Without a doubt, that might be the form of government that we're under right now. <laughs> I well, I could be. I mean, you know, how many Bushes have we had? How many Clintons have we had? How many Kennedys have we had? How many you know Cheneys? How many yep. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, so if you take it to that level, you know. You could almost, I could see when you look at it through that lens and the corruption, you know, you could almost make the argument that the Chinese model of state capitalism is better. I mean, from, from well, a purely. From an efficiency, from, from an efficiency a, yes, perspective. From Absolutely. From a pure efficiency. Yeah, there's, I mean, well, and that's always going to be the reality of authoritarian control. Right. Uh, because it's a lot easier for one person to make up their mind and say we're doing this than it is for a committee to say we're doing this. And they, right. you know, even if that's the difference of two minutes, two minutes times ten thousand decisions adds up pretty damn fast. Uh, and it's usually much longer whenever you have bureaucracy involved, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, from you know, it's also why uh, corporatism has taken over the world. Yeah. Because you got one guy at the top. Yeah, he's beholden to a board sometimes and by in little bits depending on you know contracts and whatnot but at the end of the day he can make decisions or she can make decisions and people say how high should i jump and it'll be done tomorrow and when you can enable that type of uh, ability to execute you can just move more efficiently you can move faster you're going to use less resources potentially uh, to accomplish similar goals uh, and so just you know as as you put the equation and run it over time you're you're going to win is what it comes down to and so um, the chinese are aware of this i mean they're they're very smart in their long-term game they always have been uh minus when they killed all of the smart people in their country i don't think that was the best idea but you know i could be wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> they seem that... to be doing all right so who am i the who am i the judge <laughs> yeah i i it it brings up another point. Like I, I was, I forgot what I was listening to yesterday, but they brought up this point of the way the world is working right now in a way I had never thought of before. And they they had they had approached the situation we're in right now as a a currency war. And I, I was listening to like, oh well, I wonder what this is about. And the 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 narrator said, if you look at the way the China is working right now. Like they have their own version of the IMF where they're going to third world countries and they're building ports, they're building roads, they're building, you know, and, and, and they have structured their, their model 
in somewhat in dollars. So they, you know, whether it's treasury bonds, so they have, they have all these treasury bonds. And so they have given, let's just say Ecuador, they've built, we're going to build a road all the way through for you guys. Now they know Ecuador is never going to be able to pay them back. So they're going to end up with that road, but especially they have structured it in a way where, okay, okay. United States, why don't you go ahead and make the dollar? If you, the dollar becomes strong, then there's no way these third world companies will ever pay us back. So by the United States having a strong dollar, they're ruining their future because China's going to end up with all these ports. So they put they put the United States in this catch-22 where it's like, okay, go ahead and make your dollar stronger against ours. Then we're going to own everything that these countries will never pay us back in because they can't afford to. Okay, go ahead and weaken your currency because now we're going to take you out on this other side. So it well, seems and, that – And that, yeah. that other side that other side is the petrodollar. So yes. one of the, one of the things by and large that kept the United States hedge money in the position that it's been in has been the petrodollar, basically the vice grip on the balls of oil. Right. Um, China is aiming to depeg the U.S. dollar as the petrodollar and institute the yuan at least as a competing currency against the petrodollar, which the petrodollar, in case anybody doesn't know, is just um, you know, when you buy oil in the world, it's settled in dollars. You can't buy oil in the world and not settle in dollars. Now you can now these days with Russia and everything that's happening and, and bricks and all this other stuff, but that was the status quo for quite some time. And so in an, in a sense, it is a currency war, but it's not just a currency war. It's, it, it's a cultural war at the end of the day. It's not just the currency. It's the ideology behind the currency it's the practices behind the currency it's the it's the processes it's the you know the the broken corrupted democracy and it's all of these things it's you know it's it's taking the the marketplace of ideas of what we call society and saying they're saying we have a better one and they've been moving forward with their plan to win that game and nobody's really been playing against them in fact People were playing with them for quite some time up until yeah. very recently. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't but five years ago where there wasn't a single product line that didn't touch some supply chain in China. You know, now those are starting to diversify out because people realize that it's bad to have all of that in one place. Go figure. You know, it's not like everybody wasn't told never keep all your eggs in one basket as a kid. But here we are. <laughs> And so moving forward, uh, you know, you have this now everybody's catching up and now they're realizing that, oh, these people are not going to stop instituting these practices. They're not going to stop these things. This is their policy. This is their plan. Uh, you know, you watch what happened in Hong Kong. Hong Kong wasn't supposed to move back to China for another 20 some years. And then all of a sudden it was like overnight. Uh, and because they realized that they had the, you know, the advantage in the situation, they knew nobody was going to come drop bombs on Hong Kong because they weren't dropping bombs on Hong Kong. Right. They just happened to take it over from a political perspective and, you know, and an economic perspective. And then, you know, all of those people were uh, friendly with the government, friendly with the government. And so it just became a part of de facto part of China again. Uh, to your point about the Ecuadorian road, I was in. Costa Rica, uh, China donated uh, a stadium, a whole police force worth of cars, police helicopter, uh, built a couple bridges, 
Uh, and then about two and a half years, three years after that was done, uh, Costa Rica signs a free trade agreement with China, uh, sign, gives away the rights to their uh, fishing waters. Uh, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff has happened since then. Uh, you know, most of the stores that you go to will be Chinese run now, whether that be hardware, grocery, things like this, things that all used to be locals. Uh, and I saw that up and down the Pacific coast, yeah. uh, from, from Chile on up. Uh, and so they've been doing this for 20 plus years. And so now you're hearing all these people talking about, oh, China's fishing fleet, they're, they're murdering the seas and blah, 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 blah. These are all sanctioned activities signed off on by corrupt governments who took out bribes from China. There's, there's no legal recourse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's legal. I mean, they, yeah. isn't isn't it like I've seen some pretty interesting maps with the Built and Road Initiative and how it comes all the way up from South America? But isn't that mm -hmm. sort of a violation of the Monroe Doctrine? Like I thought we, I thought the United States was pretty heavy-handed when it came to our sphere of influence in South America. But I guess we're connected. We, I guess we're taking money from them as well. So yeah, and we, you know, to be frank, we shit that bed. <laughs> We did look at look at all the crap that we've put on <laughs> South America and Central America. Yeah. Over, you know, the past yeah. 50 years. Yeah. Uh, it's just been a coup here, a coup there. It's yep. been destabilization here, destabilization there. It's been hey, nothing but and, and nobody has risen economically. I right. mean, yeah, you know, some people it's gone up a, a little bit, but by and large, you know, most people are very, very poor in those countries still. And it's not like there's a lot of infrastructure and business, you know, investment and all this stuff happening now. It's mostly just waiting for the next coup Yeah. <laughs> in some of these places. I mean, you know, uh, and then you have places that, you know, once they got cooed out, you had instituted dictators that have been in place for 20 some plus years. And so, yeah. of course, nothing's going to change. Yeah. You know, uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of love lost between Central and South America and, and the United States. So it becomes a lot more difficult to say, hey, let us put 10,000 troops in this military base down here in this country, in your country. Oh, we don't want your troops. We don't want your military base. Yep. Fuck off. I mean, yep. that's kind of the response you're going to get. Uh, and so I think that's why you're seeing it. And the Chinese, uh, to their credit, they went about it in a smart way. They yep. said, hey, would you like all of this money? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's free. It's yeah. free. I we swear. It's free. Here, here, take it. Yeah. We don't care yeah. how you govern. Just take the money. We're just going to build a road for you. you know? Right. Well, and, and you know, the thing was, is like, oh, one guy takes the free money and then tells China, oh, you know, we're not going to do that. Well, guess what? That guy is no longer in power or, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons. Maybe he just right. disappeared in the jungle. Right. Uh, but the next guy, he's willing to sign off. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we see this everywhere and yep. to the people who are looking for it and, you know, in uh, aware of these things. And so the question then becomes, well, what do you do about it? I mean, it's just it seems it seems rampant. Right. And I think what's happening is, is that uh, society culturally itself is kind of dealing with it. That's why we saw like cancel culture, for instance, because yeah. you have to figure 10 years ago, nobody gave a crap. You, you can do whatever you want, right? 
But now there's, oh, everybody's talking to each other. Everybody realizes that people are people and that, you know, oh, maybe we should actually be a bit more responsible about some things. And then so the backlash, the rubber band effect comes and cancel culture is born. And I think we're kind of seeing the end of that, that rubber band effect and it's starting to come back the other way. Uh, you know, but I think we're going to continue to see these types of just uh, uh, fluctuations in society that are going to push it out to its breaking points and then kind of bring it back. And then eventually things will break off and fracture. And I, I don't see it being anything but inevitable at this point, just because of, you know, the policies that we're making and the people that are in power. And it's not like that changes rapidly. And even if it did, the changes that need to happen downstream from that they don't happen rapidly either and so you know now how do you garner such a public will such a social will to go after to go after those endeavors or would you rather just kind of say eh, it is what it is i'll just look at my TikTok videos a lot of people are choosing b yeah yeah i agree it's there's so you know sometimes in the face of adversity people just don't want they've they've been like beaten dogs you know they just don't want to participate and i can see the point like on some level you know if, if you're a kid growing up right now and you live in a place where the average home price is five hundred thousand yeah. dollars you know you're like what do i dude i'll just be the wizard i'll just be the damn wizard killing dragons you know <laughs> and how do how do how am i supposed to compete in this world and you know i it, it kind of makes me sad in some ways to see that and maybe this is just inevitable maybe this is how cultures work maybe it gets to a point where there's no social mobility and then things break down and that's kind of where we are now i wouldn't say that's the way cultures work i would okay. say that's the way like systems work ah. a system's only going to play out to its eventual end characteristics i mean it, you know and like for instance our starting system the, the conditions that that gave our system life is the constitution right? right um you know that's this is that system playing itself out it lasted 250 years pretty did a pretty damn good job yeah took over the world i mean so from me you know in terms of like a system not so bad yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. but at the end of the day that system's characteristics its underlying you know foundations uh in combination determine where it stops where it halts where it breaks where there's going to be fault and you know it, it, you know we could get in deep on the actual wordage of things and whatnot but you know the words are important and yeah. we've talked a lot about that and those words being so important and then having so many different arbitrary points of authority that are interpreting these words supposedly in our best interest is a system that just doesn't work when we can talk 1600 miles apart instantaneously. It starts to break down because now I know it's not my best interest. And if it's not your best interest, <laughs> and if it's not their best interest, whose best interest is it? Well, George, it's Nancy Pelosi's best interest. Uh, <laughs> hate to break it to you. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So do you think that like, you know, we've talked, you, you've said something that I, I keep thinking about, and that's that it's not that we go around in a circle. It's that we go around like in a helical, helical, is that the right way? Helical, yeah. So can, it seems to me that the next rung on the helical ladder 
seems to be this idea of state capitalism. That's what the United States is trying to adopt. Is, is, is that sound accurate to you? Do you think that that is potentially the next rung on the helical ladder of systems? Well, I mean, that's the, I, I wouldn't say the United States is just trying to adopt it. I would say that that's the adoption of the international monetary. Mm. That's the okay. IMF. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Their, their whole, and if you look at it, uh, you know, the United States hasn't really been embroiled in any conflict in any place that did not have a central bank before we went into conflict with them and then ended up with one after we did. Right. Uh, and their declared goal is, is that, uh, by 2025, there will be central bank digital currencies, uh, rolled out in every country. Mm. Um, and so Biden already signed a, uh, an executive order, uh, charging the Treasury Department to do that. Canada's already rolled out theirs. Uh, Australia's rolling out theirs. China has theirs rolled out last June. Uh, so this is where things are going for sure. That's the intention of, of, of that group of people. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence to say that that is a big part of where all this Ukrainian money is going is it's going to recapitalize the European banks or even to be the foundation for the, the new digital currency. I mean, you're talking about $700 billion at the stroke of a pen, you know, like, and, and maybe 10% goes to the, you know, there's soldiers and people in Ukraine like, yeah, we're not getting any of this money. Oh, they're not. No, they're definitely not getting any of the money. I mean, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, literally, and the other side about this is, is that from a, military industrial complex uh perspective they're loving the hell out of this yeah they get to field test their weapons without having to actually risk lives of people that they're semi-responsible to at some some level some, some societal level yeah and you know so now you just got a, a menagerie of fuckery going on <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's really interesting watching it unfold. It's turning into quite the quagmire. Yeah. And I don't think it, it stops being a quagmire for some time. No, I think that's, that's baked into the cake. I think the bigger the quagmire, the bigger the opportunities for them, you know, the, the mm -hmm. more muddy the waters, the better. What do you like? Yeah. Let's say, how do you think the. How do you think the pension funds and these big sort of trusts end up by 2025? If there's a digital currency, does do the pension funds just get they trade their paper IOUs yeah. for for this digital yeah. currency? Right. So that's how they'll they'll make it. They'll grease the wheels on every step of the way to get people to adopt this. So uh, for like the big pension funds, you know, they might even give them a rate, right? Mm. So, you know, you might get, you know, 90 cents to the dollar type thing uh, for each conversion. So you're making 10 cents on every dollar, you know, every hundred dollars you convert or something like that. Uh, and then for individual people, uh, it'll be, you know, a type of a welfare thing. Well, if you sign up to the central bank digital currency and download the app, mm. you're going to get $500 as a sign up bonus. <laughs> and, you know, and then in stretching that out, it'll, it, that'll also be how they facilitate the adoption of things like more of a welfare state in cities, like we were talking about before, because now I can, I can just 
add a couple digital zeros, my infrastructure cost to do so is minimal and I can just send it out, you know, ad nauseum to everybody on this list. And so, hey, if you're in New York City and you have the central bank digital currency app and you've changed in uh, cash this month, you're going to get a $200 stipend. Mm. And so now you're going to get now you're going to, you know, uh, get people invested in the idea that I can get on the digital currency system. And if I bring other people, I can get money from it. Or if I turn in cash, I can get more money from it. And so it, you create an incentive structure behind it. And so I think we'll see those incentive structures roll out in every country, really, uh, just depending on, you know, need and greed. Yeah. Yeah, there's it's interesting to pay attention to all the different countries and how fast they're rolling things out. I, I just saw like uh, I think in Australia, they're supposed to be they've rolled out some crazy idea that they're going to be net zero in the next like 10 years. You know, like they're just gonna, yeah, they're gonna, which, they're just which is wild stuff. That, that whole climate thing is just, uh, uh, I mean, you know, people are getting banned left and right talking about it. Yeah, which is wild too. It's like you can't even you can't even talk about the scientific counterpoints without without potentially subjecting yourself to losing your all of your efforts. Now, do you see that as a form of weakness or a form of power? Because it seems to me when when people become that militant. It's like they're. It's always a form of weakness. Yeah, I agree. It's always a form of weakness. Yeah. If you're not willing to to listen to other people's ideas, especially ideas that run counter to yours, then your your faith in your ideas, for one, but your ability to reconcile them into the world, to to argue that that's the better idea, all of these things. Well, you're not you're not giving the idea it's it's room to breathe every idea should be contested yeah. you know if if we're all just going to follow somebody who says i have an idea well we probably wouldn't <laughs> be here you know <laughs> right sure I, I i played that lemmings game back in the day i'm pretty sure that that's how that ended up yeah yeah it seems that the best idea will win and if, if you but if you don't allow those ideas to be fought over or like you said contested then, then the loudest idea wins right and the emptiest barrel makes the loudest sound, right? We end up Indeed. just just yep. being empty inside. Mm -hmm. Benjamin C. George, I love talking to you, man. This is fun. And uh, Likewise, <laughs> it's always fascinating to me to see where we end up because we, you know, we we have really had some interesting conversations, some of them more structured than others. And I I really feel like uh it's a journey in itself, you know, like I never know where we're going to go. We might turn the wheel this way. We might turn it over that way, <laughs> but I feel like I always learn something and I, I've gotten some good feedback and I, for those people paying attention, probably me and you the most, like I, our conversations have gone from like, we've, we've doubled and tripled the amount of people that are watching, you know, and, and we're getting questions coming in and I, I'm really thankful to, to get to, to be in the passenger seat and, and ride with you for a while, man. I'm really, I'm really thankful for that. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise, brother. It's been a good time. I, I've, I've appreciated you bringing me onto the, the podcast scene. I've been wanting to do it for years and then finally had the, the proper motivation. So when or when do you have a launch date for, for when uh, you got the, the uh, no absolutes podcast starting up? I don't have a launch date yet. Um, I've, I've just been kind of putting things together. 
Uh, you got a lot of stuff on your plate. I do. Uh, it, it'll be one of those things where it'll probably be a weekend where I'm like, damn it, finally I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then, you know, so. <laughs> All right. All <laughs> but right. It, it should, I, I expect, I, I'm, my goal rather is uh, by the end of September. Nice. Well, regard, I know you got a lot on your plate, but I hope that you uh, are able to at least carve out a few hours for me on Wednesdays because uh, I don't want to give I, it yeah. up, brother. Okay. No, no, no. This is fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, the nature of our conversations, uh, we've, we've, we've touched on it offline a bit, but you know, I, I these are, these are great conversations because you don't get to have them every day. Uh, it, it's a hard conversation to have in a community. Uh, it is. even it's a hard conversation just to bring up, uh, with family members. <laughs> um, so, you know, I hope that us having these types of conversations and continued conversations like this allows people to take part in these conversations and be like, aha, okay. I'm not the only person who thinks this way in the world because that's always a nice, um, comforting thought. Nobody yeah. likes to think they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, as it's growing too, like I've, I really think that there's something to be said, like both of us and a lot of people listening to this have a similar story where, they have taken life as an adventure and they've packed their bags and they have said, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. And I think this is kind of a spot where people can find each other. Like I've, I've noticed that between you and a lot of other people I've been talking to, there's people all over the world, but we all have these things in common. And I feel like we're building this network somewhat. And, and that brings me to mm -hmm. another an idea how, how would you feel about having a panel of people come on and, and maybe us having like three or four people talking i would love it i think okay. the 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 open discussion of ideas there's there's really nothing like it yeah because i've gotten a few other people that are interested in doing it so i i'm thinking about maybe throwing something together like that where we could uh have a conversation and, and we could hear four interesting different perspectives that we would probably all be like, Oh, I never thought about it. It would just enrich the conversation. So maybe in the future we can set something up like that. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Okay. Awesome. Anything. Oh, Benjamin George, where, where can they find you? What do you got coming up? And uh, what would you like to say before we go? Uh, Benjamin C. George.com is the open for everything I do these days. Uh, and everybody just have a great week. Okay. That's I love it. <laughs> I love it. And then links will be down below. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for spending time with us. We, we're looking forward to the next one, and we always have fun doing it. Feel free to jump in the conversation anytime on the live broadcast and uh, reach out to myself or either Benjamin at the links below, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Aloha.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.